0: Okay, so let's make a bet. When I tell you to picture the movie Say Anything, what do you see? I got five bucks that it is John Cusack hoisting a boombox over his head and blasting Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. That boombox deadlift is one of the most iconic shots of the 80s, and probably even John Cusack's career. But Cusack didn't want to do it. In fact, he didn't even want to star in Say Anything— he told director Cameron Crowe that he had already graduated fictional high school six times. On set, when Cusack would see Lloyd Dobler's graduation robe, he'd cringe. As for the boombox scene, Cusack called it too subservient. He was willing to sit on the hood of his car next to the boombox, but he refused to hold the radio in the air and smile. So Cameron Crowe compromised. Cusack held the radio in the air and frowned. Lloyd Dobler didn't look like a desperate kid in love. He looked defiant. And somehow, that shot, that very last shot that he and Cameron filmed on the last day of filming, became the most powerful moment in the movie. In the decades since, lots of people, real and fictional, have held up boomboxes in Say Anything's honor. It's become a cult, so much so that Cusack called it David Qureshi. He will never, ever, ever hold that boombox again for anyone, not even Peter Gabriel. When Gabriel played the Hollywood Bowl in 2012, Cusack reluctantly walked on stage with a boombox at his waist, and then he shoved it in Peter Gabriel's arms and ran away as fast as he could. I am Amy Nicholson, Chief Film Critic for MTV News, and welcome to Skillset, the podcast where every guest is an expert, and every week they teach you and me a new way to look at the movies. Today is dedicated to two movies about all-consuming high school love. First up, let's analyze the most wicked game in Winona Ryder and Christian Slater's Heathers. It's a cruel little sport called croquet, and like the Heathers' is, Actress and comedian Lindsay Lucas Bartlett played it competitively in high school. No holds barred. It turns out cocaine is the true test of a person's morality, where nice people risk finishing last. And then writer, director, and Hollywood Renaissance man Mark Duplass comes into the MTV studio to open up about the high school girlfriend he swore he was going to marry. Young Mark was a huge romantic. He would have held a boombox over his head. In fact, he still might. So let's get into it and ask him on this week's episode of Skillset. When croquet was trademarked in 1856, London toymaker Isaac Spratt thought he'd invented a gentleman's game, a charming afternoon sport with wickets and balls and giant cartoon hammers. Croquet looks civilized, but it is unlike almost any other competitive game in that it offers players an ethical choice. When you hit your opponent's ball, do you award yourself two turns? Or do you get nasty and whack your enemy off the grass? No wonder croquet is the sport of choice for the cruel foursome of Heathers. It was also the sport of choice for British prep school student Lindsay Lucas Bartlett. So is she evil? Let's ask. So, Lindsay, I'm going to start with a hard question. Are all people who play croquet monsters? You know what? Um,
1: No, obviously. But there is, like, especially back home in London, there's definitely, like, a hoity-toity to it. But it's not really like that.
0: So when you play croquet, do people playing croquet with you ever make Heather's jokes?
1: No, a lot of the people who I play with have never seen it. And so I actually, yeah, I showed one of my friends... Like a while back, because I'm like, this is one of my favorite movies. This is why I started playing croquet, because I was just like, Veronica is so cool. Even though she's depressed and all that horrible stuff, she's really fun.
0: Wait, *Heathers* is this why you started playing croquet?
1: Yeah, well, I watched it when I was 11. I was 11 going into second year. So in the UK, that's, I don't know what year that is. But so I'm turning 12. I wasn't 12 yet. But that summer, before going into second grade, they had this every Sunday, they did an American film. So one week it was Baby, Another week it was the John Waters Hairspray. So good. And then, um, so they did six weeks of these really fun American movies. One of them was Heather's. And I saw Heather's and I just flipped out because I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Because it really also, with Veronica's character, it made me be like, you have to be nice to everybody. Even though I was like a nice kid anyway, it kind of instilled that niceness even more. To be nice to the Martha Dump Trucks of the Yeah, world. and I'm in an improv group called Martha Dump Truck. What? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but it made me just really, because inst- I thought, like, I think Rihanna Ryder is just amazing, so I was a bit obsessed with her films. So watching her as Veronica, I was like, you do have to be nice to every single person you meet, because it's just like, why would you want to be Heather the number one? like, why would anyone want to be around that person? Um, So when I saw that film and I saw how fun croquet looked to me just when her and Betty were playing, I'm like, that's fun, you know? And then Mr. Hodder in that year decided to get a croquet team together. And I was like, in, I'm in, I'm in. I want to play. And so, yeah. So what does it take to be good at croquet? Honestly, nothing. Because it's really, there's no skill. It's really easy to pick up very easy to pick up. I played it at my birthday party and I actually taught two girls who had never played before and Nicole nailed it and won the game. It was obviously my expert skills teaching her. But it's just, it's really simple to play. So, and you just get your little hand gestures going because you can play it different ways. So, different ways? Well, because in Heathers, so if you notice, that all four of the girls play it like golf. Which I do sometimes if there's a difficult move, but... Golf, like, as in they're swinging it. Yeah, you know how, like, they swing it mm-hmm. um, to the side? Oh, so the way they hold the mallet. How, yes, the way they hold the mallet. So I don't... I do that once in a while, like a golf club. But I actually swing it like Betty
0: when she swings it between her legs. Oh, oh, gotcha. So it's the difference between... So in others yeah. they're swinging it... From the side. But yeah. Well, Betty Quinn, coquet, when she
1: is playing it with uh, Veronica in Heather's, I don't know if this is like... No, this is great because she does it between she, her legs. She does it between her legs. And so I'm just like, all the other four girls play it the other way. So I'm just like, oh, it's because they're hussies. That's, so that's my take on it.
0: Does that actually... Like if you were playing a coquet match, because you played... You were on the coquet team yeah, back in high school. And you went to the St. Bernard's High School for Girls. I love that title so, so much. Yeah. So would you, what would you think of a girl who played croquet the Heather's way and not the Betty way?
1: Well, I just was taught the Betty way. So to me, it is the Betty way. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, when I see people doing it the other way, I'm like, you're wrong. You know? But then I would do that move if there was a difficult ball or like a difficult shot, but that's very rarely. So I've taught everybody who I know to do it the Betty way. Yeah, I the have legs. no idea. Because also your arm, you get like, you can figure out when you're doing it between the legs, you figure out who, like, which arm is your strong arm. And so sometimes, like, you know, you have both hands on the mallet. Sometimes you don't, you can just take one hand away and just phew, smack it. Easy.
0: This seems like next level cocaine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to in all the it's times... It's like domination, dominating arms. So. In all the times I've watched... Heathers, it never occurred to me that Betty was actually the best player. To me, she is. Every time I watch her, I'm like, yep, thank you very much. (laughs) So So wait. I was trying to think about why croquet has such a bad rap in movies. And I have a theory. It's because croquet comes down to a moral choice. The thing that you see at the very beginning of Heathers, where you have the choice when you hit your opponent's ball to... Just think about yourself and maybe use that moment as a way to get ahead and not hurt anybody else or to hurt another person. That's very true. Is that why, is is croquet a sport where people really show who they are? Are they a good or bad person? I feel
1: like it does because it really, because generally it depends on where I'm at and how competitive I'm feeling. Because if I do feel very competitive, I will bat somebody out. Like I will have no problem doing it. But usually, like when I was playing with Nicole the first timer, I did not do any of that. I was just like, nope, because you have to be nice. But when people are arseholes, I feel like they do what Heather number one, Red Heather does. And she will smack you out as far as you can go. Because it's really, because technically you're not meant to pick up the ball to put back on. So you really do struggle. And people who like to see other people struggle, that's like their dream. Just to hit somebody out. It's like, why would you do that? It's a dick move. Just yeah.
0: What does the movie Heather's mean to you as a croquet player?
1: I when I watch Heather's and I look at the croquet, I just because if you notice in the Heather's as well, they all have different colors, and so Heather number one, the red one, hussy, you know, seductive, totally out there with the boys, doesn't like have any qualms about anything, and then the yellow Heather, yellow is a big symbol for friendship, and she's a very nice Heather. You know, green heather, envious. You know, <laughs> I'm like way too look too much into stuff. <laughs> um, but Veronica, she's like blue, and so she's. Did you notice like all their bedrooms are painted their colors as well?
0: What? No, I've never noticed that. Yeah.
1: So blue, she comes across as virginal, but she's not. But she's pure. Um. So I just the way yeah, I just that. And, and blue is
0: like the symbol of depression.
1: Oh. Like she's true, sad yeah. and angry at her group. That is very true. And just the way that they play, just when Veronica plays, she has morals. Like she is she's in the bitchy group, but she doesn't want to be there. And she struggles because she wants to be in the clique, because she wants to be popular, but at the same time she doesn't. And so she has that struggle. And so she plays like a nice player. Do you know what I mean? Like when she plays with Betty, she, you see her move the ball. She's like, no, I'm not going to hit you out. And she just moves around her.
0: And, and then Betty's, Betty makes her hit yeah. out.
1: So I think Veronica's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, this has been so fun. And if we ever play croquet together, I promise I will not knock your ball out of the yard.
1: Well, thank you. I promise I won't do it to you either.
0: That was actress, comedian, and croquet terrorist Lindsay Lucas Bartlett asking you to make your own moral choice. Are you balls in or balls out? A lovely little movie just came out this fall called Blue Jay. Blue Jay is a two-person romance starring Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson as high school sweethearts who randomly reconnect at a grocery store two decades after their breakup and after marrying other people. Blue Jay was one of my favorite surprises this year, in part because Mark is such a convincing, love note writing, head-over-heels, crazy emotional goofball that you could stare at this grown man and see the teenager inside of him. It turns out that's because Mark was that love-struck teenager. So let's ask him some super, super personal questions about his first serious high school girlfriend. Okay, so Mark, what were you like in high school?
2: I was very romantic. I was very idealistic. I had much curlier hair. I wore uh, round glasses that were neither ironic nor cool, they were just boring. I was a runner, so I was really, really thin. And that was about the first half of high school. Then things started to shift, and I started to get weird.
0: Oh, God. What happened?
2: Well, I was in a very serious, serious relationship uh, at age 14. 14? Um, Yes. How serious Um, are we talking? Like we were going to get married Like because I was a romantic, and I would like – write her songs on every anniversary, the the month anniversaries, not the year anniversaries. And she would like put signs on my lawn that she decorated at night and we were c- not convinced, we were certain that we were going to get married. And then um, as is wont to happen with high school romances it came to an end about a year and a half later. And that summer after my sophomore year of high school, was when I I sort of became the man I am today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, birth of a man by fire.
2: Birth of a man by fire. Yeah, well, it wasn't really a fire. It was more of a fizzling out. Um, (laughs) No,
0: you went to an all-boys high school. I
2: did. Yeah, I went to an all-boys Catholic school, Jesuit High School in New Orleans.
0: And your older brother went to the same school, but he's is he's just enough years apart. I wasn't sure if he was a senior when you were a freshman or if he had already graduated. We got
2: lucky. Uh, in New Orleans, you go to high school in eighth grade for whatever reason. Oh. So we shared a year, my eighth grade year and his senior year of high school.
0: Did he help you be cool those first couple of years?
2: Well, our relationship was different than the average older brother, younger brother relationship, particularly in high school, because... I guess I was a little bit wilder, um, like I got into like alcohol and weed and such very, very young, maybe even before my brother did. And he, he was always a little bit younger. So I guess if I was playing two years up and he was playing two years down, we kind of met in the middle there. And we were very much soulmates, I mean, throughout, throughout our, even before high school, but definitely in high school and beyond.
0: So then what happened during your crazy summer?
2: So, I was always, like, you know, fancying that maybe one day I could be a musician or a filmmaker, but I never really took it seriously, you know? And, I mean, I was really, everybody always, always likes to talk about it, like, oh, I was such a nerd in high school, but I was actually kind of a popular kid my eighth and ninth grade year. I was, like, pretty cool, and I was, like, running on the varsity track team. Well, and, when you
0: were that young. And
2: I could play music. I played drums and cover bands, and, like, I was, like, fairly cool, Um
0: Sometimes I think it's hard for people to admit they were cool in high school. I
2: th- well, yeah, everybody wants to be the underdog, you know? Everybody wants to be, um, you know, the sort of the swan that blossomed later on. Um,
0: Nobody wants to be the popular football no, I, player no, who now I, sells No, I, pe-
2: I peaked in ninth grade. Let's face it, guys. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just call it what it is. And, you know, a couple of things happened to me. That, that breakup was really big. And that summer after my sophomore year, my brother – Spent his first summer in Austin where he was going to college at the University of Texas. So I got in my car and just drove up there to see him. And this is what happens in the nineties. Your parents, when you're 16 years old, just let you go away for a month. So um and I spent a month with him in Austin. Um uh in the very beautiful, um strange uh Keep Austin Weird zip code seven eight seven zero four. If you've ever heard of that, there's lore of this zip code at that time in Austin. Yeah, you was, don't know
0: me, but I'm from San Antonio. Texas. Okay, so you I got it, girl. Yeah.
2: So you and know, this was
0: a period when Austin was really becoming Austin. This is it, it a period was it slacker. was it. Yeah, it yeah. was like
2: just post Slacker and you know Rodriguez had come through, and it was just the land of beautiful weirdos.
0: Rodriguez is from San Antonio. He just pretends to be from Austin. I have to always come. You gotta we, we do claim that. Him. We have to. Fight we should to talk claim about him.
2: San Antonio for like an hour together. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this podcast should be. about.
0: Bad. I probably could, but let's yeah. talk about Austin in the '90s. So your parents were letting you, yeah, like, they you let me like go. To smoke pot and hang out, go to Austin.
2: They were fine, and and um and really, what ended up happening is I I just sort of became one with Jay and with Austin at that point, point. and it was extremely difficult for me to come back to New Orleans and go back to high school for two more years because I felt like this is my place, these are my people, I'm ready to move here and and become the strange artist that I really want to become. Um, but then when I got home I felt like, well, there are keg parties and there are cute girls around and like I do have some friends, so I should try to join that life and, and experience high school what it was. So I spent the next year just really torn between like, Oh, I'm gonna go to this keg party at like, you know, nine PM and then somewhere around ten forty five, I'd be like Oh, but that new Altman movie is playing at at movie pictures, which was our like second run art house cinema. So I would like try to find somebody to like go with me to go explore that other side of myself. And I spent a lot of time like that in high school, feeling very torn.
0: Wait, did, were people jumping at the chance to go see Altman no, movies with you?
2: No, I didn't get a lot of, a lot of takers on that. Um, randomly, one of my good friends in high school uh, it was a girl named Stephanie Langhoff, who then proceeded to go to business school and then drop out of business school and now she runs my film company, which is kind of fun.
0: So the answer is say yes to the guy in high school and he says, Do you want to go see a cool movie?
2: Yeah, because like maybe you'll run a company that like makes you very little money. But hey, <laughs> it's cool anyway. Um but, but yeah, I mean my high school was really like it was a it was a weird experience in that like I kind of I moved from the realm of popularity into the realm of being kind of more of a weirdo.
0: Yeah, because yeah, you know, I'm flashing back to the era, and back then, if you saw a cool movie, you might only have it for a weekend. It might never be in that town again, and you miss out on the chance to talk to people about the movie. You don't have Twitter yet. yep. So you're seeing all these things that you want to talk about, and you have no one to talk about. And them there's
2: right. no Netflix to, to show them where to watch it. And so what happened to me on accident was one night when I was with my, my serious high school girlfriend. You know, we were like, oh, there's this cool movie with Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix playing. Like, we should go check this out. Not knowing anything about art movies, just being a fan of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure um, and, you know, uh, Stand By Me. And and so we went to see My Own Private Idaho, uh, the one art house in town. And it just exploded my brain because I was like, what is this? And I want so much of this and I don't understand what it is. And from there I started like... Going to video stores and, like, seeking everything out and finding out about Jim Jarmusch and John Cassavetes and all this stuff and went into, like, straight nerdville into my, like, you know, indie film heaven.
0: So what happened next? Like, were what did you do while you were stuck there then?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of it was about becoming an artist at that point, you know, and, and I was a musician, but I was also a filmmaker. So I, I was a very earnest singer songwriter and I would play shows on weekends and things like that and pursue that side of my life. And then Jay and I would talk on the phone constantly and I would, sometimes I would, like it was 500 mile drive. I would just drive up on the weekends to see Jay in Austin and, you know, try to convince my parents to let me skip. Friday at school so I could leave Friday morning, get up there, spend Friday night, Saturday, come back on Sunday. Um, You know, and it was a very like, I don't know, it was just kind of like living outside of my body in New Orleans and biding my time until I could get to Austin and go be with Jay.
0: Now, as a girl who went through high school, Mm -hmm. as as most girls have, I have to say this. You might have felt like a giant nerd, Mm -hmm. but I guarantee there were like... A million girls were like, who is that dreamy musician who's, like, playing folk songs? And he looks so alone. I want to get to know him.
2: I really – and I'm not just saying this all false modesty aside. They were not around, <laughs> and they were not in New Orleans. Um, and I think, you know, in all fairness, I was just like – I was just like, I'm I'm out of here. Like, I don't really want to have anything to do with this. Like, my, I was just, like, emotionally and spiritually already gone in Austin, you know, so – I would love to believe that you're right. That would be so cool.
0: Yeah, there's probably some girl out there who's like, I knew he'd be special. He never knew I was alive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I felt it (laughs) through his curly hair and his glasses.
0: There's probably somebody who tells that story to her friends. I went to see him play once. I sat in the darkness.
2: Yeah, I know that that's not true because no one came to see me play, but, (laughs) but yeah, maybe.
0: So, okay, when did you start picking up a camera, and were you any good?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... My brother and I had like my parents' video camera as early as like the you know, mid eighties. Um and we would make little movies around the house and stuff like that when Jay was I don't know, when ten and I was like seven. But there I've heard that if you watch the early Coen Brothers movies that, like, you can see the seeds of who they were going to become. There was nothing prophetic in our filmmaking. There was nothing like, oh, wow, these guys are really going to be good one day. It was just really stupid shit. Um, like,
0: what? I, want, I want you to describe one to me.
2: I mean, the first couple I remember were, like, uh, we had a big— Blue beanbag, and so we would like we were trying to remake the blob by like having the beanbag like go down the stairs and like film it in little segments and like maybe roll over me and eat me, um, and then and then there were like little trick things we would do where we're like, ooh, it's an invisible man walking where you like move each shoe in front of the other shoe and like take footage of it, <laughs> and, and 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 that was all like the dumb shit we did like with that camera through like the mid '80s, and then in the early '90s. We got a little bit of a better camera for those of you who were messing around with them at the time. It had a very distinct advantage to the other one, which was you could shoot footage on it, but it allowed you, if you could, like, plug in a microphone into the camera to record audio onto one of the tracks while it was playing back. So this allowed us to get nonlinear for the first time. And, And this is where, you know... I can't say that these movies are good because they were incredibly pretentious and, and strange. But this is where we started, like, putting ourselves into our movies. And, and, you know, for those of you who see the movie Blue Jay, you'll see, like, the way that the characters in that film, Jim and Amanda, were truly obsessed with each other in high school and celebrated their weirdness and did all this stuff. That is really what Jay and I were like. And we just – like, I would film him running down the street – and then we'd go inside and we'd watch it on TV and I'd get at my acoustic guitar and I'd like live score it along with him because I just – he was my favorite person in the world and I just loved him. And that's where I learned how to like unabashedly emote with the form. Now, there was zero taste level and zero discerning, so it's all unwatchable. But that's where I fell in love with that as like a form of expression. And I was just like, oh, I can love something deeply and show it to the world in this way.
0: Now, I'm glad you brought up Blue Jay because I really like the movie. I saw it in Toronto, and it's this story, and for people who are going to see it, about um, two very intense high school sweethearts who reconnect after decades apart. Kind of by coincidence, it's about the arc of the night they spend together reconnecting.
2: By the way, that's a great pitch. You did that really well. Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh, dude, you'd almost think I talk about movies for a living.
2: You did it. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard movie to pitch. Not a lot goes on, so I think you, you did that well.
0: But it's really lovely and you really capture you know this nostalgia for what it was like to be a high schooler in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know for the world that 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 was. And I couldn't help wondering when you were making that movie how much were you thinking about your own high school and how much were you thinking about your high school girlfriends?
2: Yeah, for me um there was definitely a portion of Jim who was just like me in high school. This character That I am playing was an extreme romantic, an extreme idealist, very excitable, had big kind of uneducated ideas about what love was and was able to love fiercely and was able to love with full confidence that that is what love was with no awareness that he might be too young to understand that. He just was like, I know everything and I'm good. And that's what I was like in high school. And what's fun about that for me is that I look back on that person now and I am at once embarrassed and ashamed of like how ridiculous I was and love to make fun of it. And it's really fun to kind of like poke fun and laugh. And then like two minutes later, I find myself thinking – I really miss him, and I really want to get a piece of him back in my life, and I don't really know how to do that. And so that, I think, was probably the birth of where this movie came from for me, you know, um, is is chasing some sort of purest version of myself from high school um, and the way that I was with my first girlfriend, the way that I was with Jay, the way that I related to the world back then. You know, it was like wonderfully – ignorant and bombastic and, and, um, cringy when I look at it now, but also really sweet.
0: Yeah. I think about that a lot. How, when I was in high school too, I felt like there was a story in the culture, you know, in the books that the best thing you can ever do is fall in love with somebody in high school and marry them and live happily ever after. That's
2: that. If you're doing that, you're winning, you know? I mean, for me, like, Wuthering Heights in high school like I was obsessed with that book and 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 I reread it in my early adult life and could already see like how bananas unhealthy that relationship <laughs> is everything you're taught now um, in therapy and in you know uh, good relationship dynamics and architecture is like you should love this person and love them wholly but you also need to realize that you yourself are an individual and you need to deal with your own needs and Wuthering Heights, the big message of, of that movie is I am you and you are me and there will be nothing between us and the great version of a relationship is to basically just fucking meld into one person and I'm a married guy, and I got kids, and I realize that that's not sustainable, but I love the romanticism of that, and I love the ignorance of that and and um it's fun to uh, it's fun for me to reconnect with that person who really believed that was the way to do it yeah, so
0: for people out there listening, who might be in that first serious relationship yes. and might be hearing from people you know all sorts of things. Do you have any advice for them?
2: mm My advice would be don't listen to anyone like me because I don't know what I'm talking about as it relates to them. I mean, I remember, you know, being in my first relationship and everyone looking at us in this way that was basically like, you guys think you know everything and you don't know anything. And I remember looking at them and thinking like, you're jaded and you're old and I get that and that's fine. But I know everything as it relates to me right now and you can't possibly understand that. And of all the stupid things I thought back then, of that, I'm sure I was absolutely right. Only I knew how to be in that relationship and get exactly what I needed from it. So my advice is like, don't even think about looking at a guy like me who has gray in his beard and enjoy the shit out of it.
0: Well, Mark, thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: That was Mark Duplass, star of the new movie Blue Jay, which you can rent right now on Amazon or Google Play or YouTube or seriously, wherever the hell you want. Just do it because I highly recommend it. I think you might love Blue Jay forever. I am so glad Mark could join us for this week's episode of Skillset. And I am so glad you could join us too. I am Amy Nicholson, chief film critic of MTV News, and I am accepting grumpy pictures of John Cusack on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson. Subscribe to Skillset on iTunes or your favorite pod catcher. And if you liked getting romantic with us today, give us a rating and tune in again next week for a new batch of experts, including the number one James Dean historian on The Most Important Teenager of the 20th Century. Hopefully he will give us a new, new way to look at the movies. This episode of Skillset was produced by Michael Katano, Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovich, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.